wonderful to be here again on the Mentors Lounge. This is Larry Louise again on the Mentors Lounge, and it's the second edition for the month of September. And I'm so happy, so glad to bring to us one of my mentors who I respect so very much in the person of Mr. Tunji Adeniro. It's a pleasure to have you here, sir. Thank you, Larry. It's an honor to be here on the Mentors Lounge. Thank you. Right. So, um, like we've discussed before, uh, the Mentors Lounge is actually um, set out to democratize success, uh, to make all the mystery behind success or breaking through in a particular vocation or profession or career or business to demystify the whole process. And so we bring different people on board where they will share the backstory. And from the backstory, I'm sure one or two things can be sifted out and some people can glean some insight from that and they can use it to run. So it's a pleasure to have you again. Um, for those who don't know Mr. Tundi Adeniro, um, I would like him to introduce himself briefly. <laughs> and uh, over to you, let's meet who is Mr. Tundi Adeniro. All right. Thanks, Larry. My name is um, Tundi Adeniro. I'm a member of the National Institute. I was born over 53 years ago, uh, February 13, 1968, to parents, um, my father now, blessed memory, uh, Ebayo Adeniro. Uh, my mom, Titilola Adeniro, I was born into a family, middle-class family, typical middle-class family. My father was a teacher. Um, my mom was doing trading, uh, taking after the business of her mother, my grandmother. Um, so uh, my earliest recollections of my father were about me learning to read, learning to do two-letter words, three-letter words, four-letter words. You know, you just that's that's how you grew up in the house. Um, I'm the second of six children. I have an elder brother and four younger siblings. Um, everyone is grown all over the place now. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Mubikala. We've been married for the better part of 29 years now, almost 29 years we've been married. We got married in 1993. I hope my math is still good. Um, <laughs> February we'll have another anniversary. Yeah, so better part of 29 years. We're, we're blessed with five wonderful children. We've got three boys, we've got two girls, um, lovely, lovely children. We thank God for them all the time. Um, professionally, well, so I schooled in primary school, if secondary school, Ilori University, first degree, um, IFE. I read building in IFE. Um, and then I did subsequent two master's programs, subsequently, University of Lagos, one in construction management and the other a master's in business administration. I also have attended the advanced management program of the um, Lagos Business School. My alumnus AMP 27, I think I attended AMP 27, I think that was in 2015. Um, also, yeah, around about 2015. 
Um, so that that's it, uh, educationally, professionally. Um, so I read building in Ife, and uh, um, I've then practiced basically in that environment, in that space of construction, property development, real estate advisory. Basically, I've practiced in that space, and I've done that now for um, how many years will it be? Since 1988. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I need to do a quick computation. That's about 33 years. Or so. That's about 33 years, yes. Yeah, so that's how long I've uh, functioned in that space. Um, done construction with, uh, started with an Italian multinational fancy worked there for like 10 years. Um, uh, the company was having a bit of issues and then I pulled out and decided to go it alone by myself. Um, did that for almost another 10 years and then I got kind of bored because it wasn't, um, there was a limit to which I could uh, grow big in Abetita where I then was. And then I decided to look for some bigger challenge, I would say, and then moved to Lagos. And that signposted my entry into the real estate uh, uh, business, real estate development space, beyond just construction. Um, worked with uh, Grand Properties for a bit, and then worked with uh, Oasis Group, where I essentially um, led change in uh, I was recruited in a business that was set up to manage the real estate assets of the group. Uh, but by the time I was leaving, uh, we had successfully transited from that to a profitable real estate development business. Um, uh, I did that for about 10, 11 years. And then I quit to, for self-development, I would say, um, when I got the opportunity to attend the very prestigious National Institute for Policy and Strategic Studies in Kurujos, the senior executive boss. So I'm an um, alumnus of uh, the National Institute, uh, having attended the senior executive course 41 in 2019, uh, where interestingly we focused on uh, financing universal healthcare delivery in Nigeria. So that kind of opened up my heart and mind to things relating to uh, the health sector and what have you. Um, after that time, I've then gotten involved with um, um, the most structured thing I've done will be with reliable properties, uh, where I now function as the CEO of a company um, that's based in Abuja, Nigeria. Uh, that's a rundown of uh, career. Um, I gave my life to Christ in 1987. Uh, I was a fourth year student in IFE um, at the Christ Law Fellowship. Um, I, I I was born uh, into a Christian home, if you know what I mean. Um, we were church going, we had family devotion, we grew up to know the Bible, to read the Bible, um, but yet, I mean, I got convicted that there was more to following the Lord than hmm. that religious thing. And then uh, sometime in April of 1987, I remember it was the Easter Sunday service. Um, 
that I went to at, what's the name of that uh, chapel there? We used to meet at the Greek foyer or something way back uh, okay. in the evening there. Um, and then I got back to my room and then I knelt beside my bed and um, prayed the sinner's prayer. And uh, I know for a fact that that's when I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, that was in 1987 and it's been a progressive journey since then. Done a couple of things as God uh, granted grace and enablement. And then um, at the moment, I attend the Baptist church in uh, yesterday where I live in Lagos. I teach in the Sunday school department. Um, I've always been a teacher, and, uh, something I believe I have a grace for, and something I enjoy doing. So I, I think that uh, about gives a rundown of the different aspects of my life. I, I hope I'm not around about. Interesting. This is really, really very interesting uh, background. And there are so many things to, to quickly pick from this. Now, the first thing I want to ask is this. You mentioned something about you grew up in a family where you have, you have Bible study, you have prayer time, and it was until you got your fourth year that you will say you had an encounter with God. That is a, <clears throat> what I pick from that is, um, even those, someone who grew up in that kind of environment did not really have meeting with God. Yeah. That's a dangerous, that's, um, for me, um, your parents will have felt that they have done their best, right? And I'm sure the reason why I'm asking this question now is that for people of my age, or my generation, or even those that are coming, they will definitely be in this kind of shoe that, okay, they have done their, they have, they are, take, they say that teach your, teach your child the way of the Lord, and when he grows up, he will not depart from it. But... As at the time somebody is going to university, you are technically off the house. Yeah. So if it was until the fourth year that you had that kind of experience, that means you're almost leaving university. Absolutely. So that that is a is a big uh, an issue. I will not call it an issue. It's something to really probe into. That so w w was there a missing link somewhere? Right. So, um, uh, like I, I say to people, um, I'm a third generation Christian. Um, my grandfather was the first person in the lineage that uh, became a Christian. Um, and then my father, and then our generation. Um, so they, they, they taught us the best way they knew to teach us. Um, so these were times when conversations around, I grew up at a time when conversations around being born again, being an SU, had a, a, a negative significance, if you like, of um, people who were then going to be backward in development and backward in society. You know, that kind of reminds me really. When I was in um, secondary school, Federal Government College in Lorraine, 
there was a fellowship of Christian students, FCS, which is what the SU is in the western side of the country. And um, I, I don't remember what year it was, but I attended an FCS meeting where I also responded to an altar call. Um, but then leaving secondary school, it, there was always that conflict whenever you got back home. Um, you was viewed on one hand as somebody who didn't want to do well or who was not going to do well. Um, and these were parents who were laboring over you, wanting the best for you, wanting you to be the best that you could be. Um, so whereas they taught us the Bible, whereas we had family devotion and family prayer times and we'll be sent off to the hostel every time with a prayer, with a charge to remember whose child you were, but conversations around being born again, around um, uh, inviting Jesus into your heart and as Lord and Savior, those were not conversations that were necessarily happening. Um, so even though the environment was um, um, uh, was not uh, evil or devilish, um, but at the same time, with knowledge, we came to realize that being born into a Christian home didn't make you a Christian. Being born by Christian parents uh, didn't make one a Christian. Uh, being born by even born-again parents doesn't make one a Christian. Like uh, one of the tracts, I think, is my pastor that wrote. The title is God Has No Grandsons. And indeed, God has no grandsons until everyone comes to that personal relationship with him. Um, there's really nothing you can do to say that uh, you have come to know him or you have come to be known by him. So um, the environment, being born uh, in church, as, as some people were born in church and all of that, um, um, they don't make you a Christian. However, I must say that the environment necessarily predisposed one because um, the word of God is powerful. And so the fact that we were reading scripture, the fact that we were being fed with scripture meant there was something for God to work on in our hearts. There was the seed to, for God to put upon, you know, in our hearts, which made the, it, it made it, I don't know, maybe easier. I mean, for the Holy Spirit to be able to convict one's heart and then to come to that point of decision um, to make a conscious, personal, deliberate decision to say, now I need to make the move. I need to actually invite Jesus as God and say, so that's, that's, um, that's, the, that's the kind of uh, thing I say about it. And of course, I mean, the challenge, of course, I have children. Um, the oldest being about, uh, it's going on to 28 now. So we've raised children, the youngest being about 17, going on to 18 also. So we've, we've had to deal with this. And uh, what it has taught us is not to assume that because they followed us to church, they um, attended family altar, which we have, um, they probably also participated in church activity in their growing years. Which is the question I wanted to ask again, that, okay, now, with this background and with this current generation, right, uh, you have, you have, um, I mean, people of our own generation trying to build children up in the way of the Lord and leading, I mean, do all those things. So, 
you are like a bridge generation, right? What will you now say? What will be your advice that for this generation, these, these, do they call them Gen X now? This Gen X generation, eh? The X or Z now, I think they're up to Gen Z. No, no, whether it's Gen Z generation. Now, this, this current generation, so how do you now navigate this, uh, different realities uh, okay you you're building them up in the in the home right you you're leading them in the in the word of god you you're praying with them you're showing them the way so how do you ensure right that they're actually there and not right. are not deceiving you okay <laughs> because they are very intelligent oh yeah absolutely i mean they can play to the gallery and just yeah. uh, give what side of them they want you to see and the one that they know you'll be pleased with if that mm-hmm. makes them happy. Um, so uh, a couple of things come to mind here. One is that the um, investments being made by teaching them the Bible, by having family altar, by doing all those things, those investments are not a waste. Sure. Um, when Jesus told the parable of the sower, if you remember very well, and when he was going on to explain the parable of the sower, he said, the seed is the word of God. And that seed, um, you, you, you need it. And so when you raise up a child, sowing that seed in their hearts, sowing the seed of the word of God in their hearts, you are doing something. As with every seed, when you plant them, they may remain seemingly dormant in the soil mm. they may remain like nothing is happening they may remain like you never see life sprouting out of it but it is not to be despised it is not to be taken for granted right now we also need to then also have the prayer um, um parts of it um such that we keep committing them to god we keep praying for their salvation we keep holding God's hand, knowing again that the work of salvation is not done by any human being, to be honest. Uh, it takes a conviction by the Holy Spirit, which uh, you can only do as much as you can do, you know, yeah. in investing in the Word of God, investing in prayers, you know, guiding them in the way of the Lord and trusting that God will brood upon all of that and bring them to that experience. It's also very useful to allow your children to be real with you. Um, when they are not there, they shouldn't pretend to be there. Otherwise, you'll just be living in a fool's paradise. And then you'll meet some big shock or big surprise um, um, when things go the other way. Uh, Paul said, when I was a child, I, I reasoned like a child. I behaved like a child. It wasn't devilish. It was just being a child. So you, you need to allow them to also be all of that and then um, uh, guide them through it when they have their, their, their challenges, their issues. Every opportunity to point at Christ, you do that with them. And then um, you can only do as, as, as much as you can do. You know, I remember the story of uh, one of my uh, colleagues in university. He was born to... Um, Anglican priests and he told the story of how when he was coming to to Ife, his mom I think he was that prayed and said Lord I pray that 
my son will not be in the, in the same room with other people. And um, he used to joke after he became a Christian that God answered the prayer. He wasn't in the room with bad people. He was the bad person in the room, you know. So um, just speaks to to how a child could play along, you know, until Christ encounters them. But everything you saw in their hearts and lives counts for something. That, um, I think that's 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 the way to to one of the ways to look at. Wonderful, wonderful. I like the the intro part and how. Uh, this interview has gone. Now, there are some questions that I'm going to ask you, but bef before I ask those ones, I want to ask questions with respect to helping people who may find themselves in some of the uh, career trajectory that you followed uh, in life, right? Especially uh, with respect to um, this present day things. Now, You've, you've worked in construction, you've also played in the real estate space, and uh, that, that's where you're actually uh, based now. Now, when we, when we consider the real estate sector all over the world, right, we have different um, levels of development. There are some there are some level of development in Africa, there are some level of development in Europe, in the US. But where everything is tending to now is smart homes, property technology, and the likes. Now, what will you advise someone who is interested in that sector? What should that person concentrate on, especially maybe a fresh graduate who hears this or who watch this video and says that he wants to go into this sector. What should the person be focusing on? Uh, what training should he give him, himself or herself to? Or should he do an internship somewhere? What should be the focus of the person if he wants to build a career here? Because, every, for example, in Nigeria in particular, there are so many real estate companies now springing up every day this one says he has land here this one has this one here and so many things are just going on and it's as if there is a kind of noise in that space now what would be your advice being somebody in that space right so um my take on the industry and real estate industries that there are several um uh, in the value chain, there are several opportunities um, and there are several places one could choose to play at. Um, uh, one way to look at the whole thing is that it's a business like every other business. Um, you could look at the real estate space as a business space and I think that can be confirmed from the fact that uh, I don't have the statistics but a sizable number of people who play in that sector are not even professionals in the built environment. They're not architects or engineers or quantity surveyors or land surveyors or estate surveyors or builders or town planners. Most of the people who play in that space are not professionals, you know, in the space because it's not really a regulated space that says that you have to be a professional in the built environment. 
So one angle is that it could be looked at as a business where you have um, either you have access to capital or you have access to the product and then you are able to put it out there for people to come and uh, buy into what you are holding out to provide. That's probably the case with people who just do, you know, the procure land and the sell land and then you're at liberty to come and develop your land into whatever you want it to, to be. Um, so there's that space of the market where you can just do land, raw land and sell to people. The people who step it up a notch and do sites and services, meaning they do the land and they don't just sell the land to you, they provide infrastructure, they put the roads there, they put water there, they put power there, and um, they do all of that. That's taking it a notch up. They don't build the houses for you, but they've serviced the land that you bought. Um, I mean, it could go on and on and on. Uh, people who build, uh, uh, people who then also build to sell. Again, when you're talking about the building, you're looking at different sectors. Is it the low end of the market? Is it the middle? Is it the luxury end of the market? So it's quite a wide space, to be honest, in terms of what the possibilities are. And um, it always will be useful for somebody who's just getting into the space to have as much uh, touch, uh, as much experience, as much um, uh, uh, internship training, you know, as much as possible to understand the broad spectrum of what is available and then maybe be able to make a decision into what space they want to play in. Um, if, you are a, if you are an expert in the real estate, in the built environment, it probably is just an advantage for you. It's not, it's not an exclusive thing as if you have to be one to be able to function in the space. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like someone will say, um, the person who owns the idea can always employ the people who will do what they want them to do to actualize the idea. So um, being skilled, being knowledgeable in the built uh, environment professions, uh, you just know what to do. Um, but somebody can still hire that your skill of what to do, to do um, uh, the bigger picture of what they want to get done. So that's, that's a, um, that, that will just give a brief in terms of how to go about it. Good. So in the light of that, right, um, when, we, when we now see that anybody can actually play in this space. So if you are to project to five years from now, right for anyone in africa or even anywhere in the world what top five areas should somebody play in because it's, it's it should be looked at as a business so if it's going to be considered as a business what are the top five areas that you can say that look if you want to consider this as a business you should focus on these five areas. Well, um, I don't know that I can list up to five, but let me try and give it a shot and see uh, how that plays out. Um, if it's going to be looked at as a business, then it means that someone needs to understand business. Um, 
uh, basic understandings of the value of money, time value of money. You know, I mean, if it's going to be looked at as a business, the things that relate to business across board, wherever you are playing with your capital, um, one needs to be able to understand that and understand it well. It's probably one of the limitations of people who are just in the built environment. I remember before I went to do an MBA uh, as a general manager of the company, my line director used to say to me, Tunji, all you understand is concrete and cement and blocks and all of that. But when it comes to the business side of it, you are limited. And uh, I mean, that's probably something that runs across, uh, especially when you do a professional course. You're not doing the business side of it. You're just narrowing down on your profession. So um, knowing the business side of things, uh, I think, is key. Um, as with everything, again, you need to know what people need. So it's difficult to generalize across countries or across continents, um, uh, even in within Nigeria, it may be difficult to generalize across cities and across towns. But in every location, you need to find out what do people need. Um, uh, in one of my previous uh, employments, we were going to do a development in Abuja, and we decided to do something very strange to the market at the time. Um, we decided we were going to do studio apartments, one-bedroom apartments, two-bedroom apartments. That wasn't the going thing in town. People were doing massive houses. People were doing three-bedroom flats and all of that. But we sat down and did a market survey and discovered that there were people who needed these things in the market. But they were just not there. It wasn't even a case of affordability. It was a case of those things not being available yeah, so you need to know what the market wants um, because that's where you want to start your business uh, from, provide what the market wants. The next thing perhaps is then to be able to provide it to them at the price they can afford and do it in a way that is profitable and um, sustainable for you also. Um, so that's where technology comes to play in terms of improvements in um, building technologies, improvements in design, efficiencies in power. You know, people are getting, we're getting to a point where people are going to look at cost of uh, property beyond initial cost, where they're going to begin to think about cost in use, um, in which case they're looking at what's my energy cost for living in this kind of house. Uh, right. Is it ventilated enough for me not to have to use my AC all the time? Right. Do I have to run the power to cool the place all the time? So all of that is also beginning to come into play. Um, another thing that comes to my mind is the fact that uh, uh, in Nigeria, for example, we have a young population. The, 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 the bulk of the Nigerian population is, is, is the youth. And yeah. so their demands for housing and for accommodation are a bit different than what it used to be. So you find now people are not just thinking about the space in which you put them within the, within the walls. They're also looking at what kind of environment are you creating for me? What kind of environment do my children get to play in? What kind of quality of air do we breathe? 
what kind of uh, vegetation are you providing for us in this environment? Those are things that are beginning to come into conversation that people are having in terms of what kind of space they want to live in. So it's not just that your house is fine, it's iconic in design and all of that. People are beginning to consider the quality of environment that you are creating by the house um, uh, that you are providing for them. Have I done five now? Yeah, uh, I think it's about four now. Okay. (laughs) All right, so uh, that's 80%. I I, I think I have to do that time. It's, it's It's a good one. And um, you see, you you've right. actually you've actually uh, technically moved into uh, what is now like the in thing, which is uh, smart homes, smart houses, smart homes, uh, the energy consumption, uh, how green the environment is, so that people are living in a green environment. I mean, uh, recently I saw uh, in one advert of a property company that is in, I think in Lekki of Lagos, where everything that they use there is uh, renewable. Even the power supply is by renewable source of energy. So, but, and they they put the value at, I think about two, the two bedroom terrace apartment is about 25 million. The three bedroom is about 35 million. Now, my next question is this. When we consider the housing deficit, which no statistical data has been able to substantiate, uh, the same um, evidence of, no, I will not put it evidence, the same news has been said that the housing deficit is about this value. 17 million. 17 million. And it has been like that for more than 10 years, if my record is right. I was in university, yeah. uh, just outside university. So it's been, it's, been, it's been like that for decades now. I, I keep hearing that figure, which I don't know where they got up, what, especially in Nigeria, where the figure was, was obtained from. My question is this, how do we, how can, because like you said, the, in Nigeria, you have a young uh, population. Young people are the bulk, more than 50% of the population of the country, and they need accommodation. The other day, I was um, watching this uh, video by this um, uh, YouTuber. His name is Wode, Wodemaya uh, from Ghana, and he profiled this man uh, from Gambia who has built a real estate company that is co- that cut across different countries in Africa. The biggest investment he has in Nigeria is in Port Harcourt, in River State. And the when I went to the website of this company, I discovered that all the other countries that they have presence in have a kind of funding or credit facility or a mortgage facility in Africa that makes acquisition of those houses easy. Yeah. But when you consider, when you now come to Nigerian space, you see that it's not there. My question is, even though there is NS, 
Nigerian NHS Nigerian Housing Fund National Housing Fund National Housing Fund even though there is National Housing Fund even though we have um, maybe some mortgage bank arrangements I don't think there is really a sustainable mortgage system yet what can be done to me because I feel that that is the easiest way to break that barrier of housing deficit that even though there are developers just like you said that the, the industry is not regulated if there's there's a regulation in the industry then maybe there can be a handshake between mortgage banks or housing fund whatever and fund will be available make the thing how how can this this issue be resolved from your own experience because you have uh, quite a number a number of years of experience in this space right um so um there are a couple of things that must go together to resolve the housing um deficit situation in the country um, um uh, maybe the first thing to me will be access to land um access to land remains a challenge um for development and for developers um, uh, in the real estate space in Nigeria. Access to land at affordable rates, I should say. I used to tell people back then that for on the average, when a developer fixes the price of a house they are selling, the cost of land and infrastructure in that cost typically could be as high as 40 to 60% of whatever they're selling the house to you. Um, and that's from numbers that we ran over the years in some of the developments that we did. And so access to land would significantly, if there's um, easier access to land, will significantly um, uh, impact positively on the cost of housing as well as the uh, availability. So it, it means, for example, that um, if you didn't have to spend that 40 to 60% on, on land and infrastructure, you could do twice as much as you are doing, for example. And people will be paying maybe about half what they are paying to secure the land that, I mean, the property that you are, you are um, building to them. Um, so that's one thing that I think is key. Um, we also have uh, conversations, and I think uh, quite a bit is happening with the um, uh, various housing interventions and funding things that have been put in place by government. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the Family Homes Funds, for example, that is a fund dedicated by government to be able to provide uh, what you call social housing, if you like, because um, it's at the bottom of the pyramid where the need is largest. And so there is some targeted uh, um, uh, funding, you know, in that direction to provide housing. So you hear them talk about houses of uh, one bedroom, two bedroom, for 2.5 million naira, you know, all those kind of things that they're doing because there's a deliberate, you know, uh, intervention by government providing fund 
for that. And I know Family Homes Fund is not just government funds, actually. They're funds from um, some other um, uh, fund providers that are involved with it. And that is also uh, there, by the way. Now, I think we also have some cultural things to address to improve our housing situation uh, in Nigeria. Um, housing for most people is seen as a one once in a lifetime investment. So a young man who is um, uh, out of university is thinking of building a house, is probably thinking of building a three bedroom flat um, or a three bedroom space. And you are wondering uh, why does he need a three bedroom space? Um, when is he going to have uh, grown up or developed to the point that he needs the space of three bedrooms? Um, so we, we have this thing that kind of worries us where uh, what we don't need uh, in terms of accommodation space, we're aspiring to get it. Um, and so we are locked in it for a long time. Again, that arises because the ease of um, uh, um, the ease of uh, registration of title, change of title, uh, it's not a very easy thing to do. In, in, in the UK where you are, I mean, if you wanted to uh, transact on any property, there's a registry that shows you everyone that's ever owned the property from whenever it came about, there's somewhere to go to, and you know that you can get the title secured in your name. Those things are, they're, they're, they're processes that help to uh, free up the space, free yeah. up um, capital in, in the space to oh. help people to do more. Several of the properties in the country, again, we don't have accurate statistics, but I can speak to a place like Abuja, where in several of the estates that are not government-owned in Abuja, you'll easily find out that maybe some 70-80% of people who live in those houses do not have a title registered with government, meaning that capital is locked up in those houses. They cannot use it to obtain a mortgage, they cannot use it to obtain a facility, to free up the capital that they've locked in to, you know, do other things in the real estate space or, or whatever it is. Um, having said that, the, the uh, National Housing Fund, which we talked about, it's a commendable thing. I mean, um, uh, it's evolved over time. And I think at the moment, they give up to 15 million Naira in um, uh, loan, single digit interest to people who are, who are contributors to the fund. It's something I've known people to access, and it's something I've known to work for people. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's quite a bit that needs to be done, both uh, in terms of, um, I mean, even uh, there's legal framework, you know, that needs to be improved upon um, things relating to title, things relating to ease of changing title, things relating to ease of registering titles, you know, that will bring some transparency into the entire process of property acquisition and property transaction. Um, there's a bit of that that needs to be done. Institutionally, I think things are coming together, um, even amongst the professionals in the real estate space, 
Um, the understanding now is that collaboration is the way to go. Um, yeah. Time was when there was uh, arguments as to who was superior and who was the leader in the industry and all of those kind of things. But I, I think we're coming to a space where we're saying everybody has their competence. Stay within the area of your core competence. Let's collaborate to deal with the situations that we have and um, be able to walk through it. Uh, the mortgage space is also, there's a lot that needs to be done. Um, but you know how it is with the finance thing. The kind of funds you have determines the kind of uh, facilities you can give. So if you don't have long-term funds, you cannot give facilities at the kind of interest rate that will be attractive to do mortgage, the way mortgage should be done sure. and all of that. So there's a lot of funding tied up in the, in the pensions space now, but because the real estate sector is not regulated, um, there are limitations because again, the pension funds would have been one place to go to, to get funding, to be able to do real estate, which is what obtains in other clients. But the real estate space is not that regulated as to um, uh, give uh, the, the security. The, 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 the um, uh, pensions fund is people's money that yeah. they have kept aside, hoping to meet years down the line when they need the money. But, you know, all that, all that uh, lack of regulation within the space makes it difficult for the regulators of uh, the pension space to say, put your money in real estate to, sure. to be able to drive down um, the, the cost of funds for the sector. So we, we do have a bit of regulatory stuff to do. We do have a bit of... Um, 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 uh, so it's not so much the... You know, the last mile, to my mind, is the actual construction and the cost of construction. And those are, are things that need improvement and improved efficiency also. But um, to my mind, that's not even so much where it starts from. It's more the back end of um, uh, giving access to land, um, being able to provide a structure where the long-term funds can then be put into the real estate sector. Mm. Those are the things that need to be done to be able to provide this housing for the mass of people that houses need to be provided for. That's, that's my thoughts on that uh, space. Thank you very much, sir. Now, I want to draw in into some specifics now. I want, right. to, leave, I want to leave profession, right. leave, uh, stuff like that. And I want to draw in some specific which, which um, the younger generation can glean from. As a professional, as a father, as someone who has several years of experience both in marriage and life and so many things what are the things that shaped you in life that shaped you to be the person you are today are there books are there people are there role models what are the things that were like if you are to say if you are to look back these are the things that have shaped me up to this particular point what are the things that you can say all right person all right um my father had tremendous influence on me um, growing up. I cannot uh, but start with him being the first role model that, that I knew 
and that I had. Like I said, my father was a teacher in his lifetime. Of course, he rose to become a principal. Mm. I was born when he was a teacher. So I knew my father to close from work and come home to spend time with his children. I knew my father to be involved with his children. I knew my father to um, deliberately invest in his children. I knew my father to value education and to ensure that his children got the best education he could afford, um, the best education they could get. Um, I knew my father to do, to be all of that. You know, so maybe being a man, um, he, he was one person that um, I grew up admiring and wanting to be like, you know, in his principles, in his, um, the, the way, I mean, he stood for the things he stood for and all of that. Um, so I cannot uh, 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 <laughs> but talk about him. Of course, I'm assuming that the question is addressing just uh, uh, physical persons. Uh, not, um, or, I mean, otherwise I'll be talking about God first. I'll be talking about the influence that knowing Jesus um, yeah. also has on my life. You know, I'm taking that uh, almost for granted. But it's worth talking about yeah. that, that, that that sets the boundaries, that sets the aspirations, it sets the desire to know that um, there's no one I want to please but Jesus. You mm. know, so I'm not I'm not trying to to, as it said now, catch up with the Joneses, follow the yeah. Joneses. You, you know, that's not that's not anything of attraction to me because my eyes are clear on whom it is that I I live to please, and who I want to please. So you know, taking that as a given, then I I, I talked about my father. Um, I would also talk about my elder brother, um, Akin Adenero as a pharmacist. Elder um, brother, that's interesting. Yeah, elder, yeah I mean, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a massive human being. Um, uh, someone you really, uh, I mean, uh, the kind of way he lives, the kind of heart he has, the kind of things he does for family, for his siblings, I mean, those are things that are challenging forever how somebody could have such a heart you know uh, such a large heart to be able to do some of the things that he does and of course i grew up knowing him all my life if you know what i guess um he was there to guide me from nursery school you know i have memories of when as toddlers we were going to school and um, he will carry my bag for me you know where these little things but you know from that time he 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 had that sense of responsibility and it's something that um, has stuck with me uh, over the years and uh, is somebody that I certainly still look up to um, as I go. Um, of course, talking about, um, uh, I, I think there's some challenge with the internet here. It's freezing up a bit, but we'll keep, we'll keep pushing it, hoping that no, I can hear you. You, you. I can hear you. It all together. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, just wanted to be sure. Now, yeah. talking about uh, human beings, persons, you know, that uh, other persons rather that I will say, um, I encountered these uh, teachings about Christ and about following Christ 
and about being serious with Christ, uh, being discipled, and the two people that I would attribute that to. One is my pastor, Pastor Larry Adeboye, under whom mm. I learned in, in Abekuta, um, uh, a father of many people, and mm. uh, someone yeah. I have tremendous, tremendous respect for. Of course, he then introduced us to the Peace House work, where Brother Dilea Koni also had, had tremendous impact on shaping ambition, shaping taste, shaping our lives, shaping what we value and the kind of things that we 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 aim to become and aim to achieve in life so i would um, talk about uh, uh, such people as having been influential um, there are books that i have also read that um, talking about the growing space and the uh, life development space uh, there's a book, The Enemy Called Average. I know I read it. I think uh, the author is a certain, is it John Mason? I don't remember who the author Yeah, but The Enemy Called Average. And that's something that kind of pushes you to want to not settle, you know, just not just mediocre, uh, wanting to do the extra that you can do. Um, I, I remember reading um, The Richest Man in Babylon. Oh. Um, uh, the lessons uh, to learn, you know, from the experiences of people in that uh, in that book. Also, uh, I remember reading uh, biographies. Um, I've read uh, Li Kuan Yu uh, from oh. Third World to to what's the, what's the uh, Yeah, you know, and the lessons to learn. From, from all of those spaces. I, I, I've read uh, Obama, I've read uh, The Crown Prince of Dubai, you know, so they're books that um, here and there I've come across um, that I've gleaned from and learned from. Um, of course, that is not talking about the Bible, the, the world's top bestseller. It's referred to where, I mean, there's wisdom to learn every time. From there, and we learn everything relating to everything in life, uh, marriage, business, work, whatever it is. You know, there's always something to fall back on. You know, as we um, go back to the Bible and all of that. So those would be, I mean, the the, the, the uh, high ones that come to my mind in terms of um, people that have shaped my life people that have uh, influenced my life, people that I've learned from. Well, maybe in the in the more recent uh, part of my life, um, more recent, talking about since when I've been married, of course. Yes. My wife has also shaped my life. <laughs> We've mm. been in it together, you know, so um, we've learned to grow together. We've learned to to walk through tough times together. We've learned to hold hands in prayer. We've learned to believe God together. We've learned to call upon God together for the lives of our children, for hard times, for good times. And I mean, there's no doubt that if, if you've then spent uh, almost 30 years of your life with someone, most uh, <laughs> someone that you are with every day, they certainly have had influence on you. On uh, the things yeah. I do, 
from all of that. Awesome, awesome. Very good. Uh, just a few more questions before I release you, sir. Right. <laughs> now, the next question I want to ask is, you know, when we meet mentors, there is, there is this man that I also respect very much. His name is Robin Sharma. He talks about daily ritual. That there are there is um, when you meet some people who have been able to make a mark in life, there is a daily routine that they go through that they can't miss. But you just see people outside, but behind the scene, this is what they do. Some people, it is they don't sleep more than four hours in a day. Some people, it is five hours. For somebody like me, once I have six hours, I'm fine. I'm not the eight-hour type. But if I if that six hours is broken, I know that I will not be okay. But I just need six, and that's fine. So, and there are some things that we do for that within that 24 hours that makes us to achieve and be. So, if you are to say, what is your own daily ritual? <laughs> 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 All right. Um, um, okay, so you found me. Um, yeah, um, I'll with you. I'll start with me. I try to exercise every day. Um, I really do try to exercise every day. Um, uh, the Bible says, "Bodily exercise profits little, but okay. even that, that it profits." Let's let's get it and let's keep fit and um, do well. I pray every day. Um, like somebody said, life is fragile. Handle it with prayers. Um, so for me, that's a. It's almost like a given. I pray. I pray every blessed single day. I spend time with God in prayer, committing things to Him, asking Him questions, asking Him for guidance. You know, carrying Him there. In my thought, I do that every day. Um, I read the Bible every day. Uh, now I'm being careful about every day because uh, there are sometimes jump time zones, and you know how it gets messed up. But I mean, I think it's one of the things I'll put out there as a ritual for me: spending time to read the Bible, to know what God is saying to me, to have God speak with me from the Bible, you know, every day. Um, I try to give my best to everything that I have to do. I'm almost a... Perfectionist. Almost, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but yeah, that's that's almost what I am. I, I try to give my best to everything that I have to do. Um, um, uh, I've forgotten where I came across the quote first uh, when he said, I don't stop when I'm tired, I stop when I'm done. When I'm done, yeah. yeah. So I kind of push myself like that. My children, I mean, they know that about me. Hmm. They tell you that one of the things I sing to them all the time is that rest is sweet after labor. You know, so if there's something that needs to be done, um, I'm not one to push it. I'm one to want to do what needs to be done and to push until it's done. 
um, before I get into rest um, mode. I have to do. I try to take time to reflect on my day at the end of every day. I, I, I'm not. I'm not uh, perfect at that yet. I've never really been. Um, but I try to do that. You know, to reflect on lessons I've learned, things I've not done the way I could have done, things I could have done better, things I could have done differently. You know, I try to reflect on all of that on a daily basis um, with a view to, you know, wanting to be better tomorrow than I am today. Um, those will be some of the things I, I, I do, depending on when time allows. Usually, I'm reading a book every time. Some books take longer to read than the others. You know, mm. I always have a book on my device that I'm reading. At the mm. moment, I'm reading something around Afghanistan and how it became what it became. You know, mm. so I also read, and my reading is not limited to just uh, Bible or religious um, things. I read, I read, I like to read biographies. I read biographies. If something excites me that I want to know more about, I've been trying to lay my hands on a book now on the history of the Yorubas. You know, I saw the title somewhere. I just want to read. I want to learn. Um, so I, I like to read. Um, I like to engage myself um, with, you know, developing myself beyond where I am. I think that that would be a rundown of some of the things that Great. I'll say I do everything. Great. So the second to the last question I want to ask is if you are to give, if you had advice your 20 year old self, what would you tell that you? I'll, I'll tell my 20 year old self to be more, um, I want to use the word with carefulness. I want, I was going to say to be more daring. Um, but not in the wrong sense. Maybe to be more believing, to be more, to be more, um, to have a larger heart. I, I, I'm looking for the right word to say it because I think as a 20 year old, my worldview was limited. My capacity to see what I could become was limited. And I think that um, uh, impacted things as I then grew over the years. So I'll probably say to my 20 year old self to say, you know what, you can be under God, whatever God says you can be. Explore. You don't have, explore, yeah, explore under God, um, um, enlarge your capacity for what you can do under God, um, uh, you don't have to be limited by what your father was, mm. where you're from. Uh, my father was a teacher who grew up uh, largely in and around Oyo town, where I'm from, Ibadan, mm. you know, all those kind of spaces yeah. where things could tend to become a bit laid back because yeah. the drive is not there not beyond there. Um, just, you know, you just want to graduate from university, get a job and do all those kind of things. Um, even around about the time I was 20 years old, I was growing up 
in Anape Kuta then, which again didn't put too much pressure on you, or you mm. didn't have too much of an aspiration. Um, mm -hmm. But if I was looking back now, I would have said, explore, be more daring, mm. be more believing. You're not limited by any of those things, actually. Mm. Uh, your only limitation is God, and mm. you can, you can, you can expand, and you can really do a lot more um, than whatever it is uh, I was able to do at that time. That I would definitely, awesome. definitely say to myself. Awesome. So, so the last question, the last question is tied to this, right? Given the fact that you advise your twenty-year-old self to to be daring. For the one who is watching this, we wondered that, okay, if I were to be from that kind of environment, that kind of setting, that kind of background, how, what are the things I need to expose myself to now to enable me or to propel me to become, to be daring? What are the things I need to embrace? What are the things I need to reach out to? What are the things I need to get involved in? So that irrespective of whether I am from that background or I will start to reason. Yeah read books read 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 um uh, your worldview is i mean without going to a place you can read a book about a place and it will be like you had been there um your world space can be expanded by what you read by what you open your mind to by what you become so I'll say to the young person, please read, read, read. Um, someone said it is cheaper to learn from other people's experiences than for you to want to use your life to run the experiment. That's what happens when you read biographies and you read autobiographies. You learn from people's experiences and you don't have to use your own life to learn those things which it now becomes uh, more complicated and more expensive for you. Mm -hmm. The other thing I should say to a young man is, uh, like the Bible said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Mm -hmm. Deepen your relationship with Jesus. Deepen your relationship with the Lord. It's the thing that carries you through life. Um, so you need at that stage to deepen your knowledge of him. You know, spend time knowing him, spend time in retreats, spend time in prayer, spend time in seeking what God's will is for your life. Spend time investing in prayers for your life, for your marriage, for your children. Those things are not there now, but spend time investing in those things now. No. They will come good. They will come true for you as you spend time, you know, investing in those things. So I'll say to you, um, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't waste your life experimenting in things you've seen other people fail at. Um, there, there's really no point doing that. Uh, be focused on being the best person that God wants you to be. And I'll say to a young person, like it said, almost cliche, Success is not a destination. You know, we keep growing at it. And yeah. I like to define success as how much of God wants you to be in life that you become. That's how, how God, success wants you to be in life that you become. 
that's what defines your success. So it's not defined necessarily in wealth and affluence and all those kind of things that people yearn and long after. You could have those things and be applauded as successful by men, but it doesn't come for much in eternity, which is what we're all here preparing for in the final analysis. So those would be my thoughts around that. Thank you very much, sir. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, it's been, I think, over an hour. Yeah. Just a few minutes, over an hour now, and I want to really appreciate you for your time on the Mentors Lounge today. Um, any final words for us as we wrap it up this, uh, this day? <laughs> well, uh, Larry, thank you for having me. It's been... Um, it's been a privilege knowing you and being able to add some value to your life here and there as God has given us opportunity to do it. It's a privilege I don't take for granted at all. And just to encourage you to keep at um, whatever God sets on your heart to do. Um, though the beginning may be small, uh, the latter end shall be greatly increased. That's what the Bible says to all. So uh, just keep at it. and. Um, uh, keep pushing on, uh, trusting that God would uh, make the mentors lounge to uh, do that which he actually has put in your heart to democratize success and show mm. people uh, no matter where you're from, you you really can make it. Uh, my son, that, it just comes to my mind now. My, yeah. my first son, um, he says to himself several times, uh, he experiences something in Canada where he is. He yeah. says to himself, look at me, this small boy that was born in one Abekuta village or town, you know, uh, look at me, look at what God is doing in me. Look mm -hmm. at what God is doing with me. Look at what God is doing through me. The circumstances of your birth, they do not limit what you can become in life. Absolutely. It, 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 under God, you are the limitation to what you can become in life. No one else. Under God, you can throw yourself into it. And you really can be, I mean, you can just be an amazement uh, under God, you know, to your generation and all. So it's been a good time spent uh, at the lounge. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, sir. So we'll call this the day now. So that is it, uh, everyone. Mr. Trinity Adenero has been on the Mentors Land this evening and we want to appreciate him. Thank you very much for coming, sir. Pleasure is all. Well. Look forward to uh, hosting you on a higher level soon. Yeah. Thanks, Larry. Oh, Thank yes, you. Sir. Thanks, everyone. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir.